Well, let's open up to Matthew chapter 17. This morning we have the privilege of studying this chapter. I'm not really sure how far we'll get, you guys, uh, but uh, it's an incredible, incredible chapter. There are many, 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 many lessons in this chapter, man. It's just incredible. Look what we read, though, in verse 1. It says, And now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother. He led them up on a high mountain, it says, by themselves. You know, as you read the Bible and, uh, you know, you study it in your life as a Christian, man, there are some things that are there that just are, are so obvious there. You can see them uh, on the surface, man. They're uh, visible. Um, but other times as you read the Bible, I think you kind of got to dig a little bit. You kind of go underneath the, the visible level there, and you're going to come away with what they call nuggets. And, you know, as I read verse 1 right here, uh, as I said, there are many, many lessons here. But I, I can't help but think of what God, I believe, wants to communicate to us whenever we study the life of Peter, James, and John. You know, when you look at Peter, James, and John, we know that they were three among the twelve, but we know that they were three that were closest to Christ. And the first point I want to share with you guys is that as we're Christians, I want to encourage you to be people who are personal, personal with the Lord, kind of like Peter, James, and John. You know, these three, they seem to be closest to Jesus during his ministry here on earth. And I think that as you look at the scriptures, just an honest assessment, you'll see that of the 12, these three drew near more than the other disciples. Here we read in verse 1, it says that they were led up by Jesus, it says, by themselves to be with him. You read that about Peter, James, and John. It's real interesting. There's a few times actually in the Bible where we read that they had this exclusive time with the Lord. They were so personal with him. And we read it uh, in Mark, it says in chapter 5, verse 37, that he, Jesus, permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then later we read in the Garden of Gethsemane when Christ was crying out to the Father, it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 32 and 33, that they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and very distressed. And, and you got to just dig a little deeper. And I think one of the things that we see when we read the Bible is that there are some people who are a little bit more personal with the Lord. They, they really are. They have that deep, intimate, personal relationship with him. You know, Peter, James, and John, they were close companions to Christ. And as a result of that, what happened, you guys? They saw things that others didn't see. They heard things that others didn't hear. And as I read about their lives, they are an encouragement to me to get more personal with Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, I know that as you read the text and you let it speak for itself, um, some might say, well, hey, it wasn't their choice, it was God's choice. You know, Jesus was the one who chose Peter, James, and John and, and not the others. But, you know, when you really look at the Bible and you kind of put it all together, there's more to it, you guys, than that. Because the Bible says what? With God, there's no partiality, right? 
And so when you read the Bible, I think we see, yes, the sovereignty of the Lord and the calling of Christ. But I also see the principle of James chapter 4, verse 8, in which the Bible says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. The bottom line is this, you guys, there are some Christians who are closer to Christ than others. How about you? Are you close today? Are you personal today? Are you near in proximity? Have you drawn near to the Lord? Is there an intimate personal relationship going on in your life? You know, I just think that we need to have this understanding about getting personal with God, to have that passionate pursuit when it comes to Him. You know, because I, I, I believe that if we have this understanding in our heart, then we will be included in that inner circle. It's just a matter of a deeper discipleship. It's a matter of desire. Do you really want that for your life? You know, I have a hunch that Peter, James, and John wanted that. I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I have a hunch that they really wanted to be really close to Christ. You know, and as a result of that, Jesus saw their heart, he saw their desires, and he was honored by that, and he was moved by that. I mean, when you study the life of Peter, you see that he was definitely passionate in this whole thing, wasn't he? He wasn't a guy sitting on the sidelines. He wasn't. He was in the middle of everything. He was in the mix. He was passionate about this thing. He was not passive like many people are. I mean, we see Peter, we see he was willing to speak when others weren't. He was willing to act when others weren't. He was willing to love like others weren't. I mean, Peter said in Matthew 26, verse 33, listen, if even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Peter said in Luke 22, verse 33, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I mean, that was his expression. Now, we know as we read the Bible that he didn't, we wasn't really able to follow through with that because he had a little bit too much confidence in himself. But don't you think that that was his heart's desire? I really do. I think that he would be willing to die for the Lord, that even if everyone else abandoned him, that he wouldn't. And as a result of that, I believe God saw his heart and God was honored by that. God was moved by that. He was more personal with the Lord. We see that. He wanted it. And we need to want it as well. We need to thirst after God. We need to hunger for him. We really do. I mean, even, you know, James and John, these guys right here, when you read the Bible, it's kind of interesting. The Bible says that they came to Christ and they asked in Mark 10, verse 37, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. I mean, these guys, James and John, they said, hey, I want to be right next to you, one on your right and one on your left. And, you know, you read that, and again, the, the first thing we walk away with was it probably was a pride in their heart. They wanted that position and stuff like that. But I also believe that there was a passion to be personal with the Lord. And I do think that God sees through those things, and God honors those things, you guys. I mean, think about it. I just want to sit next to you. I mean, you know, you come to church and you see your friends and what do you do? Hey, let me sit next to you, you know? And that's kind of what they were saying to the Lord. I, I want to be on your right. I want to be on your left. I, I want to be where you are. And the Lord, I believe, honored that. You know, as we read the scriptures, we know that John the Beloved would be the one to do what? To lean on Jesus' breast, 
We read that in John 13, 25, John 21, verse 20. He definitely drew near to Christ. And I believe, as a result of that, that God drew near to him. You know, in reading of Peter, James, and John, you know, going up the mountain by themselves, it says, with Jesus. I believe there is a lesson here, you guys, for us to get to be people who are personal with God. I want to encourage you guys, man, to get to close, so as close to him as you can. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, there are a lot of things here. When you look even at the element of being a friend, we know that that's uh, something that's kind of limited in one way. But when you have friends and you look at the different miracles that Jesus allowed them to be involved in, we see the way that it works. Huh? Remember the miracle in which Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead? Remember that? Peter, James, and John saw that. And it's kind of like how when we have friends, they see our highs, right? Later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, what was going on? Jesus was hurting, right? Peter, James, and John saw that. Just like when we have friends, they see what? They see our lows. They see our highs, they see our lows. And then right here, we're going to see as Jesus is with Peter, James, and John, they go up on the mountain, and Jesus shows them who he is and what happens with friends. Same thing. They see who we really are. And I just think that's so cool, man. I encourage you guys to get personal with the Lord. That's the first thing we see here, to be people who are personal. And the second thing is just the whole idea, I believe God teaches us this, about being people with the proper perspective. Because look what it says in verse 2. It says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. How important it is that we get personal, and how important it is that we have a proper perspective of who God is. Here we see that they saw God in his glory. They saw God in his glory. And, you know, as we accompany him up into the mountain, as we go into our closet and our devotional life, as we are obedient to the commands of the Bible and behold him in his majesty and just really see God for who he really is, then you and I, man, we're going to be people who will be blessed. Here we see, as there it says in verse 2, that he was transfigured before them. I know many of you know that that Greek word right there is where we get our English word metamorphosis from. And what a metamorphosis is, is a change on the outside that comes from the reality of what's going on on the inside. And you see, when you look at the life of Christ and you realize that as he walked on earth, he veiled his glory. I mean, you look at him and you would think he's just like any other man. But it's only because his glory was veiled, it was masked, it was covered. But, you know, as we see here in the transfiguration, the apostles Peter, James, and John, they got to see the Shekinah glory revealed. They got to see God for who he really is. And that right there is something that I think we need to see as well. You know, God showed Peter, James, and John so they could show us. Do you see? God showed all these guys who wrote the Bible who he is. He revealed himself in the pages of Scripture. Do you see? I believe all your life God has been trying to show you who he is. 
Do you see? I mean, here we see the disciples going through all the different miracles, the feeding of the thousands, the raising of the dead, all the miracles that Jesus was taking them through, what, doing what? Stealing the sea and calming the storm, what? To reveal to them who he was, right? They just wouldn't look. They just wouldn't really open their eyes. And I think that happens to us a lot. It happens to me a lot. Ma'am, God has shown me so much. And then I just don't really see who he is. I don't have that proper perspective in life. And, and, and just to let you know, this is man, the most important thing in all your life for you to be able to see God for who he really is, to see God in his majesty. I mean, here we see the Lord, he fulfills what we read last week in Matthew 16, verse 28. Look what it says. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And this right here is uh, probably a prophecy regarding what was going on now in the Mount of Transfiguration, just seeing the Lord in his glory. Think about it. Looking at him there and his face shines like the sun in its strength. Wouldn't that be awesome? And then his clothes glistening as white. The Bible says over in the book of Mark and Luke, they talk about it whiter than any launderer could possibly get it. I mean, just this glowing, glistening white light. Just seeing God for who he is. And that's where you and I, we need to be now. You know, Second Peter uh, Peter writes about this and he talks about how this was really the basis of everything that he had believed in his life. It says in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. You see, years later, he still stood on the way that God had revealed himself to them. John, the same thing. It says in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. How about you today? Do you see the Lord? Do you see the Lord high and lifted up? Has God revealed himself to you, and have you responded to that? You know, God showed this to them so they could pass it on to us. And I just pray today that we would see the Lord. You know, because the bottom line is, is how we view God determines everything in life. And so the question today in one sense is whether or not you have good vision or bad vision. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, this last week, we actually went to the optometrist. I took my children to the optometrist. And, uh, I, you know, I just feel so bad for my son Aaron because he inherited my eyes. <laughs> you know, I am like so blind. I mean, if I didn't have my contact lenses on, you guys would look like a piece of pie or something. I would have no idea. It would just be this big blur to me. And so, you know, Aaron has bad eyes, unfortunately. They say he doesn't necessarily need glasses yet, but since he's growing so much, since he eats so much, you know, his eyes are going to continue to grow, and the doctor says they're just going to get worse and worse as his eyes grow. I am so nearsighted, and I don't think he has it as bad as I do, but nonetheless, the bottom line is he has inherited my eyes. He can't see the way he should see. 
Now, Shelly, on the other hand, she brags that she has 20-20 vision. Yeah. <laughs> and Ariel inherited her eyes, and they're blessed, you know, in that sense. But you know what? One of the things that we need to be aware of, you guys, is that we have all here, from a natural perspective, have bad eyes. We've inherited the vision of Adam. And we need to know that. And we need to work against this, you know. Before you were a Christian, you were blind. Did you know that? Now, even as a Christian, you're very nearsighted. We can't really see far. We can't really see the way that we need to see. You know, we might be like the 12 spies who after God had shown them so much in life, what happened when they were there on the brink of the promised land? You know, they saw the giants, and as a result of them not remembering how God had revealed himself to them, they lost out in life. They wandered in the wilderness until they died. Why? Because they'd forgotten how God had revealed himself to them. You know, the way that you see God, the way that you read the Bible, the way that we just, man, I pray, would open our eyes, it'll change everything in life. It'll change you from Saul, the persecutor, going in the wrong direction, to one day when God reveals himself to you and he shows you his glory to the most amazing missionary man on the face of the earth. And I know for a lot of you here, that's what you want. That's the desire that God's put in your heart. I want to reach as many people as I can for Christ. I want to see lives changed. I want to see God high and lifted up. Well, you know what? Open your eyes. Read Acts chapter 9. Look at how awesome Christ is. You know, for a lot of us here, some of you here, maybe you're not even Christians. You need to see the Lord. He's brighter than the sun in noonday, the Bible says. You know, maybe you're here today and maybe you can even learn from the experience of Isaiah. It says in Isaiah chapter 6 that Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And that vision of who he was changed his life as well. He realized how holy God is, how wretched he is. And it helped him to go through. Maybe you're here today and you're a pretty good person. You're thinking, yeah, you know what? I think I got all this down pretty well. And maybe you need to learn from the life of Job. He thought he was pretty good. And then, you know, from a, you know, comparative perspective, he was. But when he saw the Lord for who he really was, he said, I repent. I detest myself. And God, you know, he said, I knew him by the hearing ear. Now I see him with the eye. And it changes life. And you and I, man, we really need to see who God really is. Here we see the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory uh, revealed to the disciples for a reason. It would carry them through life. We need to have an understanding of how great God is. You know, when you know how good God is and how big God is, your problems will shrink, huh? But if your problems are huge, it's because your God is small. And you need to read the Bible. We need to get into the Word and ask Him to reveal Himself to us. I remember not too long ago reading, you know, um, uh, the book and even going to see the movie. How many of you saw the latest uh, Chronicles of Narnia? Did any of you here see that? Man, we need to get saved. (laughs) You guys, I thought you would see that. Anyways, it's a pretty cool movie. The first one was probably better, but one of the the neat lines in there, and C.S. Lewis is just spread throughout the, the movie, is, you know, he, Aslan, he, he said this. He said, when you grow, I grow. And, and what that means is that when you grow as a Christian, our, our God grows too, in that sense. Not that he does literally grow, but he grows in our own eyes. We see how great he is. 
and all the problems that you're facing, all the things and impossibilities that you have in life that we thought were so huge. And even today you're thinking they're overwhelming. No, they're not. If they are, it's because your God is too small. And we need to see him in his glory. And as we grow, then our God grows. It's so awesome when you look at that. The way the Lord reveals himself to us in so many ways, as a matter of fact, later on in this chapter, the Lord reveals himself, you know, and I'll just use this as an example, as a sovereign, sensitive savior. Because look what it says down in Matthew 17 and verse 24. It says, And when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And so he said, Yes. <laughs> And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, From strangers. And Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. And you read this story right here. It's recorded to reveal to us who Jesus is, how Jesus is, how he is sensitive, how he is sovereign. I mean, isn't it so cool, you guys? Uh, He pays for our taxes, huh? I mean, maybe you didn't go fishing and maybe you didn't, you know, cast in the hook and pull out the fish and, you know, get the coin out. It's worth probably about 400 bucks or whatever, you know. Maybe you didn't do it that way, but how many of you here paid your taxes? Well, the Lord is the one who paid your taxes for you. You see, he's the provider. He will, you know, do that for us. And then you look at this right here and again, you just read the Bible, you guys. Just continue to read the Bible and God will reveal himself to you. I know a lot of you here are going through financial difficulties. You know, but I just want to encourage you to really remember and to hold on tightly to the fact that God will provide for you. He will provide for your every every need. You know, if you need to pay the temple tax, whatever it is, uh, in those days it would probably be worth about four days' wages, then you know what? You will. You know, I've seen it in this church right here, the way that the Lord has always provided for us, and it just blows me away, you guys. And it doesn't matter how much, man, God has always provided for us. And my family, you know, I've shared with you guys before, I I could never provide for a family. That I know for a fact. Now, some of you here, you know, you've got really good skills and, you know, just landed a job early in life or whatever, and maybe it seems like, you know, you could, but you can't. God provides for us. And even in the economy that we live in, and it doesn't matter if we go through a depression, an oppression, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You might say, no, but you don't know my situation. I don't have to know your situation. I don't have to. I just have to know him. I know he will provide. And you look at this right here, and you see just how the way God reveals to himself. I pray you would see that. I pray we would see that. The way that his face shines like the sun the way that he is so strong, the way that he is able, you know, with his sovereignty. Think about it. I wonder how that worked. I wonder if he directed that fish. Hey, go, get, go eat that coin over there, you know. <laughs> or if he even had uh, this guy, all of a sudden he got a hole in his pocket and it fell in the lake. I mean, you wonder, how did all that happen? And, but God sovereignly worked out all those details. 
It's an amazing thing. And at the same time, we read this story right here and we see how sensitive he is. He says to Peter, hey, Peter, who's you know, really obligated to pay these taxes right here? Is it the sons or is it the foreigners? And Peter says, well, you know what? Come to think of it, it shouldn't be the sons. The sons are free. It should be the foreigners the one to pay the tax. And so in all reality, Jesus could have said, no, we're not going to pay it. But in order not to offend them, in order not to create any you know, stumbling rock there, he said, you know what? Let's go ahead and pay it. And what that shows us is how, how sensitive God is. You know, how he is considerate and caring as our creator, how he is sovereign and how he is sensitive. And so I just want to encourage you guys as you read the Bible, man, to let your eyes be open, to see who God really is, to have that proper personal relationship with him, get so close to him, to have that proper perspective as he's revealed himself. You may look at this and think, oh, I wish I would have seen such a great thing. I wish I could have gone up on Mount Hermon there with Peter, James, and John and seen the whole thing. Oh, I wish I could have such a great miracle. No, this is what this is. This right here is the Mount of Transfiguration. God has given to us his word and he is revealed right here for any of us to see. And so we learn today as we go through regarding, you know, that personal relationship, regarding the perspective. And then the third thing is this, you guys. I, I, and for that, I want to take you over to the Gospel of Luke. I, I think we learn in this story right here regarding prayer. Regarding prayer. Because look what it says over there in Luke 9. In verse 29, in Luke 9, 29, it says, And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. This whole story right here is kind of cool. They went up to the mountain really to pray. And uh, it's kind of a similar scene we see there in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus took Peter, James, and John. He says, hey, watch and pray. Now they go up to the mountain. They're, they're going to pray. And uh, as a matter of fact, if you look down in verse 32, it says, Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And so it sounds similar, huh? <laughs> it sounds kind of, whoa, again? You know, when they were supposed to be praying, what were they doing? They were sleeping. What happened when Jesus was praying? He, he was altered. And I think that there's a lesson for us in this, you guys. I know that prayer can be one of the toughest things in life to, to conquer, to tackle. But I just want to encourage you guys, never, ever, ever give up. You know, these days that we live in especially, man, we have to be people of prayer. You know, the Bible says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And so I want to give you a fresh invitation to our ladies' prayer meeting on Wednesday night. It's not a perfect prayer meeting but it's a prayer meeting where the ladies of the church come together and pray. Last Wednesday, one lady came. One lady came. Oh, then God must not be in it. God's not in a prayer meeting? I think a lot of times what happens is that we just get lazy from a spiritual perspective. We get caught up in other things. Not everyone's here is called to the Wednesday night prayer meeting, but maybe, maybe you are. I don't want to give you my convictions, but if God has been dealing with your heart, if you're going through struggles in life, I mean, how can you prevail without prayer? You know, we have this huge temptation to sleep. 
And I think a lot of us are sleeping. A lot of us are sleeping. Literally on Saturday mornings, you guys are sleeping. <laughs> I called one guy, and well, hey, we're not going to start the prayer meeting until you get here. <laughs> and, you know, it was just a joke between me and, uh, I won't tell you his name, Craig, but, um, <laughs> you know, just, uh, you know, um, and I know some of you here can't make it because you're spending time with your family and stuff like that. All I'm saying is this, man. You've got to make sure that you're praying, that you're praying, that we're praying. Because as we pray and we wake up from our spiritual slumber, then we will change. As we approach that altar, then we will be altered. And I see that in the Mount of Transfiguration, you know. Of course, when you pray, your, you know, family will come to Christ. Of course, when you pray, things will happen. The Lord told Hezekiah, because you prayed, I'll send an angel. He'll slay 185,000 Assyrians because you prayed. You know, the Lord says, call to me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. The, all the problems, all the things that we're going through, the answer is always found there in prayer as we're on our knees of course when we pray that things will change but probably the most important thing is that when we pray we will change huh and that's what we see here the lord reveals to us that as he was praying the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and the bible says glistening as a matter of fact if you go back down to matthew chapter 17 we read that whole situation really it says in verse 14 and when they had come to the multitude a man came to him kneeling down to him and saying lord have mercy on my son he's an epileptic and suffers severely for he often falls into the fire and often into the water and so i brought him to your disciples but they could not cure him that happens a lot today we can't do anything we can't change anything why because we don't pray. That's why. They brought him to the disciples. This guy was so desperate. It was his only son, the Bible says. But they could do nothing. And I just think that that's going on a lot in the church today. And we need to pray, you guys. We really do. It says right there in verse 17, Jesus was not too happy about this. He said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus in private, and they said, Why could we not cast it out? And so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, some say that the, you know, the scribes inserted that last verse later. You know what? I, I don't know for sure. I'm not this you know, Greek scholar or anything. I know when you read... The synoptic gospels, it does say explicitly that these kind don't go out except by prayer. That I know. And I know that God has called us to fast. And I know that a lot of things that we're facing, you guys, in life, and we're struggling with, is 
not necessary. And God is just saying to us today and to me today, listen, you got to pray. You got to get on your knees. You got to really bring this before the Lord. You've got to draw near. You've got to, you know, lay hold. You've got to wrestle with God all night long. This is where it's at, you guys. Now, it's interesting. When you read the other accounts, this father that came on behalf of his only son, you know, the, he was struggling, man. And, 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 you know, the Lord, you know, came to him. They're having the conversation. And the father says, you know, Lord, is there anything that can be done? And, and then Jesus says, well, if you believe, if you believe, then all things will be possible. And what does the man say? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I think that that's probably where a lot of us are, you guys. There's that faith that's manifested in a life of prayer. You may be here today and you're thinking, I have great faith and I name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. Well, that's not faith. I'm sorry, it's not. You know what faith is? You prove your faith by whether or not you have a prayer life. That's it. Do you have a prayer life? If you do, then God will give us power over demons. God will allow us to set our sons and our daughters free. But it's not going to happen, you guys, until then. And we learn these lessons, man, as we go through the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, you know, just uh, regarding getting personal with God and regarding having that proper perspective with God and regarding how we need to be people of prayer. You know, I don't know how many, how many sermons have you heard on prayer, just out of curiosity. You know, 3,000 and what? <laughs> How many days have I been alive? How many services have I gone to? Okay, just between you and God right now, how's your prayer life? God wants to share these things with us so that our lives would change. Um, you're not wasting your time when you pray. You're not wasting your time when you wake up early and you set aside another hour or half hour or you pray at night or you pray at your lunchtime or you pray while you're driving it's so cool you guys when you're stuck in traffic you know turn off the radio i mean you have enough news man we're you know news junkies you know turn off the radio and pray talk to god it's amazing how traffic goes away man you just get to work a half hour early <laughs> i'm serious when you're on the phone and you're waiting on hold for who knows how long, open up your Bible. It's amazing how you just get set through, you know. When you seek the Lord, I believe God will do great things. We learn that here in Matthew. God says, listen, man, it's time to pray. And, I'm, you know, we're, we're going to be doing a, a, an all-night prayer meeting not too long from now. And, and hopefully within the next two or three weeks. And, you know, a while back, I remember we did this uh, 24-hour prayer thing. And it's amazing how God responded to that. You know, I just really encourage you guys, man, to really, really be people of prayer. We learn that here in Matthew chapter 17, in Luke chapter 9. But then the last thing is this, and this is probably one of the most important parts of this story this morning, and that is that we need to be people with proper priorities. Because look what it says there in verse 3. It says, And while they were there, behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And then Peter answered and he said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. We learn about getting personal with God because Peter, James, and John did that. They went up on the mountain by themselves with the Lord. I encourage you to do the same thing. We learn about having a proper perspective of God as he has revealed himself to us in all his greatness, in all his glory. And that will change everything, man. That will allow us to go into the promised land like Joshua and Caleb did. God is bigger than you think he is. We learned today about how we need to be people of prayer. Jesus prayed. He was changed. The apostles didn't. They struggled. They're an illustration for us. That no matter what it is, no matter what you're going through, no matter how busy you are, if you're too busy to pray, then you're too busy. You need to cut things out, right? But then the last thing I think that we learn here, it really is, and I even saw this in some of the commentaries, it's so cool, about the way that we need to be people with proper priorities. And, and by that I mean it, Jesus has to be first, you guys. Jesus has to be first before Moses, before Elijah, before your boyfriend, before your girlfriend, before your husband, before your wife, before your children, before your job, before the ministry, before your life. Jesus has to be there, the priority of our life. He really does. There has to be no rival thrones. Now here we see that as Jesus was there, Moses and Elijah appeared to them and they were talking you know, with Jesus. Luke tells us they were talking about his coming departure, his exodus, his death. And, you know, as they're there, a lot of people wonder, well, why Moses and Elijah? And, you know, some say that Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. Some say that the reason was because of Moses and Elijah is because later in Revelation chapter 11, they're going to be the two witnesses that come back. And I kind of believe all those things, to be honest with you. But as they're there um, and they're talking with Jesus, must have been an incredible, incredible time. The Bible says that Peter woke up. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he was sleeping. And then the Bible says that that he didn't know what to say. (laughs) And so he said, Lord, it's good, you know, for us to be here. These guys were about to take off. And and so he says, let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And it's kind of interesting. Then the Bible says after that, he didn't even know what he said. (laughs) So he didn't know what to say. He said it, and he didn't know what he said afterwards. It's kind of funny we do that a lot of times. We probably shouldn't speak as much as we do, right? You know, we don't have to have an answer all the time, you guys. We don't always have to talk. Peter is a a great teacher of that. But it's kind of interesting. As he did that, all of a sudden the Bible says that they were covered with this cloud. This cloud just surrounded them, right? And all of a sudden the Father spoke to them. It was thunderous, kind of like the other day, man. It was loud. And he said to them, this is my beloved son the one that I love. This is him. I'm pleased with him. And this is what he says. Listen to him. And so when they heard the, the voice of the father, they fell on their face. They were all afraid. They probably were thinking, man, I'll never get up. And But Jesus came and he touched them. And then when they looked up, what happens? It says right there that they saw no one but Jesus only. And I just want to encourage you guys in that, you know. I know it's tough in the world that we live in. Sometimes we elevate Christian celebrities. 
We might elevate a Moses. We might elevate an Elijah. When you look at Moses and Elijah, they were incredible men. Moses. Moses. Elijah. I mean, Elijah called fire down from heaven. Elijah was an amazing prophet. He closed the heavens. He opened the heavens. He burst onto the scene. He defeats the nation. One man, Elijah. Moses defeated another nation, the greatest nation at that time, the nation of Egypt. Moses is an amazing man. Elijah, an amazing man. You know, we don't have any, you know, parallels nowadays. It's It's an amazing thing when you think about that. But you know what? Even the best of men are men at best. And we need to remember that, that we don't exalt anyone, that we don't put Jesus Christ on equal plane with anyone, that he is first, that he is your Lord, that he is your Savior. A lot of times I think what happens in our life as Christians is, especially now that we live in, is we might you know, have that tendency to elevate individuals. And this is the way it usually works itself out, that you're you know, wanting to, to be with them more than you are wanting to be with the Lord, or, or maybe you're wanting to please them more than you are wanting to please the Lord. And God just says, it, it's just, it just can't be that way, you guys. It's not about Moses, not about Elijah. It's not about that guy or that pastor or that teacher or that you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, doesn't matter what it is. You know, it's got to be all about the Lord. And as we live our life, man, in that light, then you know what? We're going to do good. What does the Bible say? The fear of man, it brings what? A snare, trap. And I think that a lot of times, you know, that's where we have our problems. You know, Becky was telling me she went to a Christian concert the other day. A great, great man, very gifted musician. He got caught up in trying to please men. And as a result of that, man, he struggled for, I think, 16 years. He struggled. You know, and I have that tendency to, be honest with you, man, by, by nature, I think I have that tendency to want to please men or want to, you know, elevate men. And God is just saying, no, let's make it real, real strong today. That you and I, man, we've got we've to really live our life to just please the Lord. Him first, all others a distant second. And we're talking, you know, miles, man, spiritual miles. You know, if you have your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and you're there walking on the sea, man, you're going to be all right. But if you get your eyes off of him, I promise you this, you will sink in life. So God, help us to be focused. After all, you know, Jesus is the one who died for us. We read that as we continue reading verse 9, it says, Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a forerunner. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah will come again in Revelation chapter 11, but all these are what? They're just forerunners to who? They're just pawns to who? 
the king. And so don't worship the pawn. Don't worship the man. Worship the king. It says right here in verse 22, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Can I ask you a question this morning as we close? Who died for you? Jesus. He died for you. Then live your life for him first. And then all others will fall into place. No, when they spoke this, the other Gospels tell us that the disciples didn't understand it. What do you mean, die, you know, delivered into the hands of men, buried the third day, rise again? They didn't understand it. <laughs> and the Bible says that they were too afraid to ask him about it. Kind of like when we used to go to school, remember that? We didn't have a clue what the teacher was saying. But we didn't want to get embarrassed and raise our hand. Teacher, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Jesus Christ has died for our sins because like I was telling this guy the other day, no one else could. It had to be God because that being had to suffer an infinite punishment. And so he died for your sins, all the things that you've done, all the bad stuff that you've lived all your life. He died, he bore a punishment for us. And then he was put in a grave. But on the third day, he rose again to show us what? that he has conquered death. And so I just pray that as we study his life, that we would live for him, you guys. I am excited. I am so excited with what God is going to do in this church and through this church. But I know that we, like I was sharing on Thursday night, we have got to wake up. We have got to get more spiritually aggressive. We've got to get involved. We've got to pray I mean, you know, sometimes I'll be honest with you. Me as a pastor, I feel so bad. I'm like, oh, I don't want to put any more burdens on them, a second service. And that was part of my hesitancy. And the Lord just reminded me. He said, listen, you know, I'll lead them and guide them. If I only want them here one service and, you know, then afterwards they go to, uh, you know, car mines and have lunch and whatever, that's fine. I mean, that's between you and the Lord. But then the Lord reminded me, you know, but if there's a calling on their life, if there is a, a calling on their life to be committed to me in this ministry, remember, Manny, they're not serving you. They're serving him. And sometimes, man, that, that calling is a little deeper than beyond our comfort zones. And so, you know what? That's between you and the Lord. You know, I know it's kind of funny. I was talking to someone the other day and, you know, about double services. And I'm, I'm thinking about the ushers and I'm thinking about the teachers and I'm thinking about even the musicians. I was thinking, well, maybe I could do, you know, they could do one, you know, group in the first service and one group in the second service. I mean, I don't want them to have to work hard or whatever. <laughs> and then the Lord just reminded me and I was saying, hey, that means I'm going to have to teach two studies too, huh? <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that, you know? <laughs> But um, maybe if you do it two times, you can actually, you know, get a clue and improve on it or something. <laughs> but um, you know what, you guys? Um, there is a cost involved in being a Christian. And if your commitment, if your commitment has been just to the point of your comfort zone, then I feel sorry for you. It has to go beyond that. It really does, you guys. We've got to lay 
down our lives. He died for us, and so let's live for him. Amen? All right. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for, Lord God, just the things that you're doing in our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would just take your word, Lord, and and just allow it to do its work in our heart, Lord God. I thank you so much for the calling on our lives, Lord, the commitment, Father God, the sacrifices that we are not... We don't have to do. We get to do. Thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray, Father, for every person here, Lord, no matter what they're going through, Father, no matter how hard life has been or, or, Father, what is going on, Father God, even today, I just pray, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would speak to them, Lord, regarding your love, your grace, your mercy, Father God, and that you would just uh, do a new work in all of our lives, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you for dying for us. And I just pray now you would empty us of ourselves and fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we can go out and we could really, really pray, really, really live for you, Lord, the way that we're supposed to. We just thank you, Father, and pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today,